Hi, brothers and sisters. Welcome. Welcome to uh, Wednesday Study Group. It is always my favorite day of the week slash month. This month, we have a very strange schedule, so I'll see you a couple times, I think, on Wednesday, but we don't have any Sunday school planned because of all the uh, state conference and, and general conference and word conference or branch conference and conferences galore. So, so this is it. So we better make it good, right? Well, the good news is we have way more material, and it's fantastic material, as always, to cover tonight. So uh, I wanted to start out, we're gonna start out with a story, but I need your help. So I need a volunteer at the end that's gonna remind me to come back to the story at the end. That's all you have to do. So is there somebody at the end who will say, Lori, okay, Val, will you remind me? Because he will keep me honest. Remind me at the end to come back to this story because it's not going to make very much sense. Um, it may not make sense in the beginning. It's not a very good example. But you'll keep me honest. Oh, he's going to remind me. Oh, Val will remember. Uh, if he's, he's okay. <laughs> well, then you can remind Val. Yeah, or we'll just forget the story. All right. Um, most of you know I served, I served a mission. Um, I served a mission in Barcelona, Spain a long time ago. And Barcelona, Spain is like most of Europe. Um, there are about four members. And so it's not, uh, Spain is not like other Spanish-speaking countries in which they're very humble and ready to accept the gospel. They have fought wars over religion and they're like, no, thank you. So additionally, Spain is a little bit unique in that when I was there, I was there in the early 90s, and fascism had ended in the 70s. Um, and so it had, was illegal before then to do anything but be Catholic. So the church was very, very young. Uh, most members had between two and five years uh, experience, and we had only one stake um, in the whole mission, and it covered the distance from here to Los Angeles, just to give you how far it was, with millions and millions of people in between, and they spoke a different language than Spanish, FYI. So, I got, I was, I was pretty excited to go on a mission. I had been planning on it for quite a while, and uh, I studied Spanish in school, and so when I was called to a Spanish-speaking mission, I was like, I was ready to go. And brothers and sisters, I'm very humble, but I think I got like an A plus in MTC. I, I was, I was awesome at the MTC. I knew the discussions, I had the memorized, I spoke Spanish, you know, really what I thought was very well, um, and then I, let me tell you, I got to the airport in Barcelona, and they, again, like I said, they speak two languages there. They speak Spanish and they speak a language called Catalan, and they would do all the announcements over the intercom in both languages, and I could not tell the difference. <laughs> and I knew I might be a little, this might be a little different than I expected. And I got my first assignment, and it was about four hours outside town in the state of Lerida. And I had a native companion, and my mission president said, don't learn her accent. And her accent was the equivalent of, like, backwoods Alabama Spanish. It was really, it was a really heavy accent, and it was a very um, poor accent, so very slang accent. And so he said, don't learn her accent. I was like, I can't even understand what she's saying. And remember, that's not what they spoke. So it was about my, well, I can tell you, it was literally my second day out in the field, right? And I started to realize that this is gonna be a little more challenging um, than I thought. Uh, and I got out there and it was really cold, and it was really wet, and um, so it was damp, and just just frigid cold all the time, it just never, and our apartment, you know, you can see the wind blow in the apartment. It was really old, it was like a 400 year old building. And you put your hand on the wall and it would go kind of through the plaster. And to make things worse, it was next door to a churro shop. So all day long, you just smelled donuts. And so you're like, oh, I'm craving donuts. And then you hate donuts. <laughs> so it was churro shop. So I was like, oh, man, I'm so hungry. And then it was freezing. I didn't understand a word she said. I didn't understand anything anybody said. And I think all we did was tramp around the city. And it was a very densely populated, very densely populated place. So it's not, this isn't like South America, this is like big cities. So you would go up into a large high rise. So you just hit all the buttons until someone budged you in. And then, um, 
and then they would let you in and we'd go to the top and we'd just knock doors and make our way down all day. That's all we did. So I couldn't understand a word she said. We never talked to anybody. They never wanted to talk to us. So it was day two, day two, and it was like the longest day of my life. And can I confide in you a little bit? I know you don't hear these kinds of missionary stories, but I'm, you guys are friends. I was like, if I could get out of this, if I could get out of it, how am I supposed to do this for like 16 more months? If I could get out of this with, with no stigma or shame, I would. I was like, this is just terrible. Like I'm freezing, I'm starving all the time. I have no idea what's going on and the days are lasting forever. I kind of thought that they would be like families praying when we knocked on the door, right? All these great missionary stories. And we didn't talk to anybody. And I was like, if it's 16 months of this, you know, maybe I could get hit by a car just a little, right? No, seriously, it was just terrible. And I remember just walking up these stairwells you know, just kind of in my own misery because I couldn't talk to anybody or really talk to my companion. And just thinking, those other missionaries that said it was the best two years, they lied to get us to continue to go, right? So that we can go, ha, I got you to go out here. Um, that was the beginning of my mission. <laughs> Remind me to tell how it ended up. Okay, all right. Where was my hiding place? <laughs> yeah. This, and it, you know, it's... It was so different. I don't know what I expected exactly, but I didn't expect that. You hear that it's going to be hard, but I didn't expect that it was going to be so lonely or so cold or so tedious. I thought it was going to be a lot more spiritual. And uh, so far, I was getting good at walking stairs and counting down the hours, right? I didn't need to learn Spanish for a long time because all you said is, hi, my name is Slam, right? So it was, <laughs> it was a tough tough little intro. Okay. Let's try this in the center. Okay. I'm getting coached up in technology. The problem is I have to turn me and my head at the same time. Okay. Thank you. So, okay. So that's, you're going to remind me that we come back to the story. We're going to see that it might make sense. I'll tie it. I'll probably tie it in a little later. All right. So keep that in mind and you're going to see that there's kind of a theme going on with this lesson. But at the beginning, it might be a little weird. So trust me, it may make sense. I think it will make sense. So hold on. So let's jump into the scriptures, though, and then we'll come back and see if we can't make sense of that little story. So let's go to, uh, let's go to Matthew 10. And we're going to put it up on the screen. So if you didn't bring your scriptures or they're so small, I can't bring my glasses either. Matthew's going to show him doing that. And then he says that exact verse again. 
So it's the old, tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. So Matthew lays it out like that. So we're just finishing with some of the healings. You're going to see more, but most of the miracles we've seen, we've seen a lot of them in Matthew already. And then we come to this story, to this story. So I need a helper to read. We're going to do Matthew 10. Actually, let's do the video for this. Okay. Let's do the video. So you know, it's exactly quoted out of the scriptures, so you can just watch or listen to the video, and it's going to go through um, the calling of the apostles. Okay? So just listen. Listen along. Listen to you to gather my sheep. Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans. Enter ye not. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Simon Barjona, by the authority of the holy priest that I hold. Well, I beseech thee. My little daughter. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. Provide neither gold, nor silver, nor brass in your purses, nor script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his meat. And into whatsoever city or town ye shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and there abide till ye go thence. All right. Good story, right? We know this story. So something important is happening here. So let's touch on that for a minute and see if we can see a few things. Um, that we're familiar with, and then maybe a few things we might have missed. So first, Matthew, we just did Matthew 10, 1 through 11, and we see an event taking place where he's going to call the apostles. So how many apostles were there? Twelve. Twelve. Does that number jump out at you at all? Why not seven? Twenty-two. Yeah, the twelve tribes of Israel, but so what? But what does that mean? There were 12 tribes of Israel, and there are 12 apostles, so it's just a handy number. Any ideas? Any? No? Yes, sir? Uh, priesthood or authority. Yeah, you see the 12 being used, the number 12 being used to indicate priesthood or authority, right? So, well, you're exactly right. I think, too, if, if we put ourselves in the shoes of the Israelites of those days, if somebody came along and they were setting up another 12, they're going to think exactly what you thought, the 12 tribes of Israel. And it's almost like a new 12 tribes or a refreshing or a reestablishing of some kind, right? It may not be overriding it, but it's, it's, it's a new kingdom. And in this new kingdom, there are now 12 new guys, right? That might be a little shocking, right? Well, wait a minute. What happened to... Simon and Naphtali and Asher and Ephraim. You got to remember that this, uh, uh, that Christ opened a new dispensation. It was the dispensation of the meridian of times. In short, it was a restoration of the gospel. It was a restoration just as, a re just as the gospel was restored under the prophet Joseph Smith. The gospel was restored under Jesus Christ in the meridian of times. Yeah, good, good point, John. Um, but it is a little different, isn't it? Because we don't see in the other restorations of Enoch and with Adam, there weren't 12 apostles, were there? No, no. No. No, because you see, you had the 12 tribes of Israel and you had the leaders of the 12 tribes. And you had you the 12 tribes of Israel. Yeah, sorry. That. Had, uh, With those 12 tribes, um, uh, you know, you had the leaders of the 12 tribes. Yeah, so, but, it's, but it's different, right? It's, we're saying and, the same thing. And then also, you had 
Uh, also, I remember when uh, Moses went up to Mount Sinai, he took with him 70, uh, 70 of the elders of Israel. That was the form of the 70. And so you see, basically, Christ was just restoring what was hap what was before him. Yeah. It, yeah. it might have been a slightly different form, but it was basically following the same priesthood pattern, the yeah. same pattern. John, you're exactly right. But think about that if you were an Israelite. A guy comes along who's saying, hey, and everyone's saying, hey, he's the new Messiah, and he is reestablishing the 12 tribes, right? He's resetting it up. Would that be shocking at all? Would that be exciting? Would that be some, well, any idea? I mean, I don't know what it would be. But I think if we put ourselves in their shoes, it would have been different, right? It would have been surprising. It would have been meaningful. But it may not have been expected, right? You're like, whoa, right? It's whoa. a bit of confusion, too. Yeah. Yeah. Now let's talk about who he called for a minute. So there were 12 of them. Yep, hit me. Okay, Dennis, I've got the mic. You don't. Sorry, bro. That's from President Carver. I think that it was, I probably, without my faith, would have been totally shocked. I think without my faith, and I think that's what all this is about. The bottom line is faith. The bottom line to all of this is faith. Brilliant, brilliant, and right? You guys, isn't that right on? You would have been all like, wait, what? What is this guy doing? Yeah, he, he this is you know, they probably thought of him as a religious zealot yeah. at that point. Some did. But he, yeah. Yeah, some did. But, because of these, the faith of these 12, they were chosen. Yeah. And you stop and think about it, there are numbers that are very present throughout time. Uh -huh. Three is one, yep. 12 is another, uh -huh. 70 is another, 40 is another. And there's numbers, and I believe these numbers kind of have something to do with the with the fulfillment of everything. Yeah, you'll see them a lot, you know, and we'll go through them, but I think something that I really liked that she said was, I think I would have been shocked. They're like, wait a minute, you're resetting this up? There's like 12 guys again and 12 tribes and whoa, right? Whoa, that's that's crazy, right? That's so, ah, uh, what are you doing, right? And we're just used to it. Oh yeah, 12 muscles, right? Hit me. Maybe I'm just maybe I'm just hard-headed enough to not to understand why so few people couldn't see him, couldn't understand who he was, couldn't understand what he was doing. Were they were they so shielded from the scriptures that they they never took the time or the opportunity to learn themselves? Uh, it's just a, a very difficult thing for me to understand. And even today, why, when when they live, when they live the very lives that we read and preach about in the in the scriptures, yeah. they led this that for generations they were part of it. I missed it. But not part of it. But I think we're going to see that's what this whole that's what today's lesson is all about, right? So I'm going to tie it. So let's hit this, and then we'll go back. Oh. Up here first. I think we. You're on. You're on. I think we have to realize that uh, at the time Christ was ministering, um, ten tribes have been taken away, uh -huh. and so there were only two tribes there present, and uh, they, the other tribes have been gone so long, and they probably have almost forgotten that they were a country of twelve tribes. Yeah, really different, right? Like, we think of 12 tribes, and there were two maybe, right? Two maybe, right. one and a half. Um, they had other issues in those days because uh, they traced their genealogy back to, to uh, the great Hebrew, uh, who is uh, 
Abraham. Abraham. Yeah. And they had a law and it was about the firstborn having the authority, having the birthright, and Abraham's oldest son was not Isaac. And the scriptures or their beliefs or fables or whatever said that the house that would be ruling had 12 sons and one daughter. And remember that Jacob had 12 sons and one daughter. But also, uh, Abraham's oldest son. Yeah, Ishmael had 12 sons. Had 12 yeah. sons and one daughter. And they became the nomadic kings of, of that land. And there, there was all kinds of problems with people saying, well, wait a minute, this is not, this is, we're tracing our heritage back to Abraham, and you come along with Jesus, and they said, well, Jesus is a descendant of Abraham, and he is in that birthright lineage. Mm -hmm. And they said, no, the firstborn was not Isaac. And they said, if you read the law, and it's a Spanish word, the law, and uh, I don't remember what it is, but he read it. It has the firstborn, gets the twice as much inheritance as the others, but and he inherits the birthright, but only if he is the oldest son of the first wife. Yeah, yeah. And so then this is where they have we have a problem today all over the area because the Mohammed people overlook the fact that the law states that it's the first wife's oldest son, and that is Isaac. Right, rather than Ishmael. So you bring up a, a really good point, right? Kind of, I think, to touch on this idea. It was confusing. People had expectations, right? They had expectations. So let me let me touch base on a couple things really quickly. We'll come back to it. Good thoughts, you guys, really good thoughts. There were 12 people called, and they list them out, right? Have you guys seen that list? Should we go to that really quickly? Um, I'll read it just for ease really quickly. It's just a couple verses. Uh, the names were Simon, who was called Peter, I'm in verse 2 of, of chapter 10 of Matthew. The first was Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the publican, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Labius, whose surname was Thaddeus, I cleared that right up, and Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now, we're like, great, great, awesome. But there are a couple of names that might not have jumped out at you, right? The first one is Matthew. It said, thank you. Matthew, Matthew is a publican, right? How were the publicans viewed? So wait, let's go back a step. Who was the ruling power in Jerusalem and Judea at the time? Was it the Jews? No. No, who was it? Romans, right? About 40 years, uh, almost 70 years now, before this, the Romans came in. And how did the Romans rule on a scale of really tough to super pleasant level? Right? Yeah, I should show you, they have coins from about this time period. And it's got a picture of a Roman soldier. This is on the coin. A Roman soldier with his foot, his boot, on the neck of a Jewish man. Right? And so when you came, it says Matthew is, uh, he's up in Galilee, Galilee's the north. It's kind of the Utah County of, of, of uh, Palestine. So there's the Sea of Galilee up there. And so most of these guys are from up there, right? And Matthew is at his little tax booth. And if you were a fisherman, you would come through and let's say he caught 200 fish. And he'd say like, well, we'll take 20, two for me, you know, two extra. And so he was the tax collector there at the lake, at the Sea of Galilee. And what coins were they changing? 
the one with the picture of the Roman guy with his foot on your neck. And the taxes were super oppressive. I mean, you think taxes are bad now. They would sell their kids into slavery. They would have to sell lots of their property that they owned for generations to make their tax debt. So they would come and shake them down. Really tough times. So here's Matthew. On the scale of Rome, like, there are a couple things you can do, right? When a country's taken over, you can kind of, ah, survive. I'm just going to go with the flow. I'm going to survive. And if I make a little money at it, it's survival. Right? That's one end. And there's the other end. I'm going to rise up in rebellion. Right? I'm going to be a freedom fighter, a terrorist, a something, a guerrilla fighter. I'm going to be that. Where was Matthew on that scale? He's a tax collector. He's kind of like the mafia, right? And did they like the did they like Republicans? No. They hate. Well, come on, this is the guy that you're like. You sold out, right? So Jesus is calling twelve, and you're like, I'm going to call twelve of these righteous disciples to follow me and carry forth and do the same things I've been doing: teaching and healing. And you know who I'm going to call? That guy over there you all hate. <laughs> right? Do you know who else was on his team? This one says Simon um, the Canaanite. In another translation it says Simon the Zealot. Do you know what a zealot was? They're the freedom fighter guys. They're the guys that in 40 years from this time rise up and foment a rebellion and are actually wipe out the nation of Jerusalem. They burn the temple to the ground because of the zealots. So the zealots are going to be like, we're going to get rid of Rome. So Jesus says, you know who I want on my team? That guy. How do you think those meetings went along? Matthew, Simon, what do you guys think? Right? And the first place they go is they have dinner at Matthew's house. And who does Matthew have? Some of his mafia friends. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the publicans. It's like, well, I have some Republican buddies over. You gotta think Simon's like, you gotta be kidding me. And up there in the north, they were the towns that were the most rebellious. They were the towns that were the most fighting the man, pushing back on Rome. In fact, on the other coast, there's a city called Gadara, and about 30, 40 years before this time, there had been a major zealot rebellion and they crucified over 500 Jews. So for a lot of people, these would have been their family members. So they are not like, yay, publicans. They're probably a little bit more like, yay, Simon. But Simon's, God, maybe not him personally, but the Zealots are almost terrorists, you guys. They are freedom fighters. They are not kind and loving and forgiving. So these are the people that Jesus has chosen. Okay? These are the people. Was it what you expected? No. No. <laughs> hey, everybody. I think that's the point of these lessons. We're going to see it with John the Baptist in a minute. We're going to see it when he talks to Bethsaida and Chorazin and Capernaum. We're going to see it when he talks to the publicans. We're going to see it when he calls all these people. And it's why I told you the story in the beginning. Sometimes the gospel isn't what we expect. So he calls these 12, and they're maybe not who you'd want to hang out with on your team. Your executive board member, your Relief Society presidency, your ministering companion, for heaven's sakes, your in-laws. You're like, I don't know, right? And he's like, guess what? You're now a team. Go save the world. But we kind of glance right over it, right? We glance right over it. We almost go, or we go to Simon, or we go to uh, Judas at the end, right? So there are 11 of them from up north. There are 11 of them from Utah County. And there's one of them who's a Utah Ute. Yes, Simon. So there's one of them. There's one of them that's from, um, they even have different accents. So he's, he's from a different part of town. So these are pretty diverse guys. Pretty diverse guys. Uh, there were some thoughts. So let's jump around. Um, Fire bell, and then we'll, oh, let's go over here. Two things. Dennis said that these people weren't learned, the way I took it, Dennis, 
because these people weren't learned. They didn't seem to know. Well, they didn't have the written scriptures in their home like we do today. It wasn't for another 1,500 years that they, it took them to get there. And these were very, very humble men. These were humble from their roots. These were fishermen. These were men of the field. They had to, they had to be humble in order for the Lord to work with them. Because the, the Lord can't work with something that's solid and hard-necked. Yeah. He has to work with something that's soft and moldable. Right, somebody, somebody humble, right? Somebody humble. Somebody receptive. But think, if you if you would then come, he knew Matthew was a good guy. Matthew's the guy who are reading his, his writings, right? It's this Matthew. And he's the one that knows the most scriptures of any of them, right? He's the superscriptorian. And can you imagine if they're like, oh, we're gonna call this publican. Can you imagine what they thought? Even the 12, or even some of the disciples. Uh, let's go here and then well. Uh, I was going to uh, emphasize what you were just saying, that uh, actually Matthew's name was Levi. Uh, and he changed his name prior to the time he invited all of the disciples to his house. He was quite wealthy, and it wasn't because he was a tax collector. He was one of the most trusted of all of the tax tax, tax collectors by Rome, <coughs> and he kept immaculate records, and it has <coughs> become evident in modern times. But. When you read all of Matthew at once, uh, you should pay attention to all of the number of times that he reports the, uh, the miracles that Christ did, because he says that it may be uh, fulfilled that which was prophesied by the ancient prophets, yeah. and he gives the place where in the Old Testament or wherever that you can check and see that mm -hmm. Christ is indeed fulfilling yeah. the prophecy. Yeah. And so Matthew was kind of um, a special person. He is. And I think you hit on something. I love that you know so much. Don't we love that? Isn't that so exciting? So thank you for sharing it with us. I I think what strikes me is that Matthew was learned, he was humble, but he was not what they would have expected. It's not what you would have expected. Right? You would have said, well, I'm okay if they're a humble fisherman, or I'm okay if they're a Pharisee, I know someone if they studied at this school, but I don't know if they're a car dealer, right? That's weird, right? I don't know if they don't speak English very well, that's weird, right? I, I just have some expectation. Now, we see a lot, and you're going to see it over and over again. Well, hit us. Don't go ahead, Well, Sorry, I forgot about you. I mean, I could never really forget about you. We have a tradition in the church, not a doctrine, a tradition, that the most righteous, 12 most righteous men in the church get made apostles. Mm -hmm. The most righteous three men in the stake get put in the stake presidency. The most righteous mm -hmm. person in the Sunday school class gets made the Sunday school class president. And it's just a tradition. Yeah. God picks who he will for his reasons and he doesn't tell us why. But we can't be shocked if the people that get chosen to serve in church positions are not perfect yeah. because none of them have been perfect yet. Christ picked Judas Iscariot mm -hmm. and he knew what he was doing. Yeah. But we, we can't we can't expect them to be perfect. the most perfect people the most righteous. on the planet. Well, isn't that but the truth? They had, yeah. they had this supreme teacher 
They they did have the world's best teacher, right? They did. But don't they? But who who was on the boat last week? The disciples get on the boat. They're crossing the boat, and the storm comes up, and Jesus is napping. And this word that they use in the storm, by the way, is it was seismic. It was like an earthquake. Like this isn't just waves. I mean, it's like a. And they're like, we're gonna die. And Jesus is having a nap. And if you've seen these boats, they're like a big rowboat. I mean, it's not like a cruise ship. They're tiny. And so Jesus is napping. They're in this terrible cataclysm. And they say, Jesus, save us. And he's like, and he says, oh, ye of what? Little faith. Little faith. Yeah, and the thing is, once they have, like, small faith ones, right? It's like those that don't really have much faith, he calms the sea, and they're like, what kind of guy is this? I mean, that's their response. And these are the same guys, right? They're like, man, I, he is awesome. I've seen him do all these miracles, and then he calms the sea, and they're like, that's freaking me out. That's freaking me out, right? That's so cool. That is, that's awesome. I'm excited. I'm scared at the same time. You guys, I'm not sure I'm on the right track here, but the, the point that I wanted to make, and I saw in these scriptures today, was that Jesus is not what people expected. The next scripture is John. And John the Baptist has been in prison for probably about a year. And he sends some of his, his disciples, his followers, and he, and he says, Jesus, are you the Messiah? Is this going like we thought? You're having a party and I'm in jail? John the Baptist, the guy that was at the baptism that says, I can't even buckle his shoe, right? Heard the voice of God. And he sends a little note like, you know, I'm in jail, right? And you're having a party. Is this, are you really the guy? John the Baptist. Why is that story in there? And they all, uh, all three of the Synoptic Gospels tell that story. Did you know that? John the Baptist basically writes a letter and says, I don't want to doubt, but I'm unclear on what we're doing and why I've been in jail and you're having a banquet, right? And Jesus basically says, it's not going to go the way you think it is, right? It's different than you think. I've called a guy who's a zealot. I've called a guy that's a tax collector. I've called a guy from the South that none of us like, has a funny accent. Who knows about these guys that are brothers? You know, we don't know if we like those guys. Maybe they're business partners, right? They're not what we expect. And then it keeps talking about the scribes and the Pharisees, and they show up, and they're like, Jesus, I mean, whether we're on your side or not, what are you doing? And then they list a bunch of things that they're weirded out by. Why are you hanging out with the publicans? Why are you hanging out with the sex workers? Why are you, what is, what are you doing? You know that, why are you walking around on the Sabbath? Oh. And he's like, you guys don't understand. So to answer your question, why didn't they get it? Because he's different than they expected, even for John the Baptist. Can I just make another little comment? Of course. Last week, Hold on. Uh, I don't know, he, I'm not sure of his name, or teacher. Steve? Uh, Steve. He said something that's kind of intrigued me since then. He didn't he didn't even understand what faith was. He didn't before he joined yeah. the church. Yeah. Yeah. So and here we have Christ that's introducing something so new to people that this and I think that's all the foundation of what we're talking about. Yeah, I think you're right. So so let's do let's do one more story. And let's see if we can see some of these similarities uh, in here. But um, but are we seeing, does that resonate with you at all like it resonated with me? They're, he's different than we expected. What he's doing is different. And we're kind of like, oh yeah, 12 apostles. But then look at who he calls. Then John writes him a letter, right? Basically, he sends some messengers, but he says, oh, what? right? The Pharisees show up and say, what are you doing? Right? What, what are you doing? And he's like, hey, it's different than anything. Uh, let's go here. Right here. Do, do you think, Tim, do you think we feel that way with our new prophet? 
the changes that he's made. Yeah. At his age, maybe we thought he was going to come in and it would be status quo. Yeah. And yet it's not status quo. He's he's changed things up quite a bit. Yeah. And, and for the good, I mean, for the better. And yet, and so we get but are, we, are we saying the same thing here? Uh -oh. You know, was this what we expected? Yeah. Is it what we expected? Have you guys ever been in a similar situation where it wasn't what you expected? The church wasn't what you expected? Things didn't go quite like you thought they were going to go? Can I tell you another couple stories? Let's do a couple stories, I think. So uh, when I, I'll tell, it was about halfway through my mission and I was serving very far in the south where the culture was very different from the Barcelona area where I spent most of my time. And I ended up learning that crazy language, by the way. So I was the missionary that spoke the weird language, so now they sent me to Spain. <laughs> so I was like, oh. So now I learned Spanish. And we uh, came into a situation where they had taught a, a woman who had, uh, she had just been baptized. And so when I got there, she had just been baptized. She was a new member, we were super excited about it. And over, she came to all the meetings and she was you know, really new. Everything was super new to her in the gospel, but she was super excited and the members were really welcoming and she would come all the time. And then all of a sudden we didn't see her very much anymore. And then we didn't see her at all. And we couldn't get a hold of her. And we'd see her daughter occasionally, so we knew it was like they had moved, but we couldn't get a hold of her. So one day we finally tracked her down, and we went and visited her, and she was really, really upset. And we we're like, why are you upset? She was like, I'm never going back to that church. I'm like, oh no, you know, what happened? I mean, you were so excited about everything and learning everything. It was like a sponge. And now it was like, ah. And we're like, well, what happened? And she said, well, I have lupus. Uh, autoimmune disease, lupus. And I thought when I got baptized that I would be healed. And I'm not healed. So now I'm going to this witch doctor, you know, and like, okay. So she had an expectation of something about baptism and her membership in the church that she never vocalized to anybody, but it was very solidly rooted in her testimony. And so when it didn't happen, it was proof to her <laughs> And that this that the church was false, right? I wasn't healed. I thought baptism would cure me. Now we would go, what? We we wouldn't think that, right? I don't think any of us growing up in, in the West would go, Oh yeah, baptism cures disease. But she did. She did. So she had a very different expectation. The one that she hadn't even told anybody about. But when it didn't happen, she was out the door. So we had a long road, right? A long road of teaching. Did anybody else? Any other stories like that? Should we go back? Well, we you still have, have one. Time. You have to finish. I have one I have to finish. Oh. But we got like 10 minutes. Um, well, the story's put in. Let's go to, let's do one more. Let's do one more scripture and, um, and see if we can see the same thing. Let's do, I think I want to do 12. Um, Matthew, Matthew 12. Um, yeah, it's, uh, might be 11, sorry. It's where he's like, woe to Bethsaida, woe to Chorazin, woe to Capernaum. No? Probably your favorite, you probably have that highlighted. Thank you, thank you. I can always count on the Ratcliffe's, keep me honest. Oh, there it is, thank you. So it's 11, and we're in verse 20. 11, Matthew 11, verse 20. So we'll pull it up on the screen here. And it's a weird, we're used, so here's what we know of Jesus so far. He's been healing, he's been preaching, and he's been preaching a lot of love your enemies, right? Forgive, right? Uh, clean up your own act, right? Be uh, poor in spirit, you know, all these things, and then healing, oh, such a great, yay, Jesus, right? Things we can get behind. Might have been hard for them, but we're like, yeah, that's the Jesus we expect. And then here we have this one. This is what it says. He says, then he began to upbraid the cities. Because what does upbraid mean? Chastise. Yeah. He's, he's giving them a talking to. And it's strict. In the sense that the Old Testament prophets did. Okay. Isaiah 9. This is very Isaiah 9. Then he began to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done. He's back still in the north. These are those same cities up in the north. So it's like, 
provost, Spanish pork and worm. That's exactly where he is, okay? And he says, woe to thee, Chorazin. And woe, woe in Hebrew is the word hoy. And we don't really have a good translation. It's like deep despair and worry and, and kind of a calling to repentance, all in one word. So I want you to start using hoy. Yeah. Okay. Hoy unto thee, Chorazin. Hoy unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had be, been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. Do you guys know where Tyre and Sidon are? They are, they are where about Lebanon, uh, Beirut is. They are not Jewish towns. It's like saying, Come on, Orem. Los Angeles is better than you. You should go to Vegas. If we had gone to Vegas and they had seen what you had seen, they would have changed. They're like, come on, Vegas? I mean, if you said South Jordan, I get it. They're troubled. <laughs> Keep going. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for them at the day of judgment than for you. Let's go down to 23. And thou, Capernaum, oh no. It's his home. It's the one where he set up base. His house is in Capernaum. Okay. House Mark that Mark says as he goes to his house twice. You'll check it out. It says, Thou Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. Terrible translation. Terrible translation. It's almost exactly word for word from Isaiah. And it's you will be, you could go to heaven, you could be going the right direction, or you could just be bringing yourself to destruction. Okay. For in the mighty works which I have done in thee have been done in Sodom. Sodom. Yeah. Ooh. It would have remained unto this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than this. So what is he saying here? Right? <coughs> You're going the wrong direction. And you're not as a city. These aren't people. This is cities. You guys are choosing the wrong things. And I need you to turn around. Repent. Change direction. If you had see, if these really terrible cities had seen what you've seen, working the miracles, they would have been on board. Right? But when we say, well, if I if I had been there, I, I would have been on board. I would have been a member, right? I would have been one of the disciples. And he's saying here, you guys, it's different than they think. They've seen it, and they're not ready. They aren't humble. Their hearts aren't open. It wasn't what they expected, and so they cast it out. And they're like, nope, not the Messiah, I'm out of here. And he's like, you guys, you're going the wrong direction. Instead of going towards heaven, you are going to destruction. We're not used to thinking of Jesus like that, right? But he's saying, come on, right? Come on. I think it's the same thing. It's not what we expect. Maybe President Nelson will have something that we're not very comfortable with. Maybe the president will. Maybe I'll say something wrong, right? And he'll say, well, that's not right. What do you think? Has that ever happened? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, right? Yeah, totally. But we have to believe in ourselves mm -hmm. that these are men of God that teach us these things. Yeah. And yes, maybe not everything they teach us do we believe is from Heavenly Father, but that they are ordained as Heavenly Father spokespeople, yeah. then we have to. And I think it's exactly right. We have to put our faith in Jesus, in Christ. We have to say, hey, I may not get it all. And these 12 and these different, this might be different than I think. So do you remember the story I told at the beginning? Yeah. yeah. The mission was not what I expected. It was really tough. I had some pretty dark days for a few months. And I worked really hard. I mean, I didn't give up, but I really struggled. It was super tedious. It was super lonely. Uh, I remember being cold all the time. She so was cold and miserable and lonely. And we didn't teach anyone. 
We didn't teach anyone. I can tell you the number of discussions we did discussions on. The number of discussions I taught in the first part of my mission, I can on one hand. And and they weren't very good ones. You know, you're like, hey, hey, stand right there, stand right there, right? If you're like, you're asleep, that's okay. I'm going to tell you this discussion. So we didn't teach very much. So I was like, what am I doing here? I wasted my time, right? This isn't what I expected. This isn't what I thought. I hate it. <laughs> and you start admitting it that you're like, this is really tough, right? This is really tough. You have two choices, don't you? What were my two choices? Cash in my chips or go all in, right? And I went all in. I went all in. I said, all right, I guess I had some expectation. So I am going to do exactly what you want me to do. And I am going to redouble my efforts. And uh, brothers and sisters, I loved my mission. It didn't get easier. I changed. I changed. I learned the language they were speaking, right? I learned to love door knocking. I was like, I'm gonna, if we're going to be door knocking, I'm going to be the very best one at door knocking you know, Spain has ever seen. And I would talk to the other elders, and I would practice things, and I would learn all these. I'd go to the park, and I would talk to these old guys all the time and learn the language. And I learned to, I made friends with a churro shop and an ice cream shop, and we could exchange. And uh, I lost like 20 pounds my first month. But my second month, I gained like 30 from the ice cream shop and the churro shop. So instead of hating it, I made it work, right? I, I had a fantastic companion. Did you convert the owner of the store? No. No, but all the missionaries thereafter used to hang out there all the time and watch football games. Um, I uh, eventually did have a baptism in that city. My very first baptism was a Muslim man. So really an awesome story I'll tell you another time. But brothers and sisters, when things aren't the way that we think, when the gospel isn't what maybe what we expected somehow, we didn't even maybe know we had that expectation, I think we can have faith in Christ. And we can say, you know what? You tell me. You tell me what you want me to do, and that's what I'll do. And he won't ever guide us away, right? Put my yoke upon you, and your burdens will be light. I'm not going to take them all away but I'll be there with you, right? We'll be on the same team. And that's my testimony in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. amen.